And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey everybody, this is Do You Like Prince Movies? I'm Alex Papadimus. I'm Wesley Morris. All right, Wesley, this week we're going to talk about Mark Maron's historic summit with Barack Obama. And we will talk about reaching peak dad on Father's Day, which I did. But first, True Detective. Sometimes your worst self is your best self. My strong suspicion is we get the world we deserve. This isn't me doing this. This isn't me. So, where do you stand on uh, episode one of uh, True Detective season two? I hated, hated, hated season one of True Detective, and I hated it in the way that it is it is to hate something like this is to love it a little bit. And I think really, uh, I was I was explaining. Uh, We just uh, we're doing this on Monday rather than our usual Tuesday. And that meant that the uh, prospectus Hollywood prospectus was happening. So Chris Ryan was in here. I got to talk to Chris Ryan briefly after this, after he finished before we started, said this to him saying it to you now. I hate this show because it is so many of the things that are crucial to it. I like so many of the elements. I want it to be great. And it, 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 I feel like it lets me down. It tends to let me down when people open their mouths and talk. That is a problem that I have. I felt this way about the trailers. I was like, man, if I didn't know what was going on, if this was just something I was seeing the commercials for and I didn't know this was True Detective, I'd be really excited. When they started, they show those first trailers with no dialogue. And then mm-hmm. when they start saying things, that's when you get into trouble. But look, I like a lot of the same things. Like he was in that first season, Nick Pizzolatto, the creator of True Detective, subject of uh, amazing magazine profiles that's the other thing don't read don't read profiles of people don't read profiles of showrunners if you want to like shows generally speaking can ruin it true but this one certainly if i if you were not already predisposed to think nick pizzolato was kind of a boob uh, don't read that vanity fair rich cohen story if you, you know unless you want to get to that place for some reason but no he's he's invoking all these things it's like if you told me about this you're like there yeah it's Influenced by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and Alan Moore and Grant Morrison comics, and uh, it's, it stars uh, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey in what I believe to be like really great performances by both of them. Like t- sort of like you know up up there with some of their best work actually. Like I think they're really good in that first season, and that was the thing that made it not you know completely unredeemable for me. But yeah, I have a I, 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 there's something about I think it's it, it's a few things. I, I feel like this one is just it's just waiting. You could just feel it just waiting to be real sexist. Like it's already kind of getting there, but you can just you just know it's a bet that there's like a sort of there's a coiled sexism snake waiting under the seats for you. Really? You I feel interesting. <laughs> you don't feel that? No, way? I mean I'm not disagreeing with you. I will say that there are now. I mean, this is already a thing people are discussing after one episode. I haven't read and, any you know the, the yeah think piecing the, yet. The I haven't. Well, I've read the. I mean, I've read the the pre-think. Oh, no, I mean, I guess I've read some things since. And um, you read the the sort of insta punditry about it. I've read the I've read the critics reviewing mm-hmm. the first whatever the th- first three episodes, right. and then the first a couple people sort of right. And it's I feel like a lot of people are 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 waiting for the snake to bite too. I I am I don't know. I mean, I didn't like the first season as much as you didn't like it. Um, 
And I, but except I actually didn't find McConaughey and Woody, and Woody Harrell. I mean, I didn't mind them, but I don't know. I'm much more excited about what this cast will probably get to do. And I don't care for Taylor Kitsch that much, but um, I don't know. I'm, I love Rachel McAdams all of a sudden, as, as, as you know. Um, something happened with us. It's like uh, I was indifferent to her for so long, and then I looked up and saw her for the first time. And in this, and like, was the- uh, just in general. I mean, I think, I think I, it was probably that um, Richard Curtis movie that came out two years ago, um, the time travel movie. There, where she was the the romantic, she was the girl in that, basically. Yeah. Um, and had almost nothing to do, but. I, I get why she is the object of a movie like that because she seems to me like somebody worth fighting for. I don't know. That also then implies, of course, that she can't fight for herself, which is how she's used in these things always. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of her in True Detective as being whatever she's miscast already as. Um, <laughs> as Cobra, as Stallone right. and Cobra, basically. I swear but it was the I... same establishing shots of her apartment <laughs> as the establishing. Like, What's with the furniture in her apartment? It's because it's, it's one of those that things where it's like. That is some nice ass <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a homemade wicker man knife fighting dummy in the corner. What the f? Because they it's don't... like Design with a Reach collaborated with Etsy to to give you <laughs> this woman's apartment. But then there's all the thing. But then she's got the copy of the Hagakure, which is the samurai. Uh. The samurai. But it's like I keep these books on my coffee table so that when I bring home strange men, they can see what my <laughs> motivation is. Like uh, already, like it, uh, yeah, and the, you know somebody has pointed out like let's stop using the Chinese takeout container uh, as the universal uh, symbol for someone who doesn't have their life together because a uh, Chinese takeout barely even comes in those containers anymore. And, never, and it's it's a totally legitimate way to eat. <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say anti. I'm gonna say it's takeoutist. A lot of our yeah. entertainment. Is is opposed to the non home cook, and as someone who would not probably be a home cook if not for you know my circumstances in my life being what they are, I'm tired of it. I'm t- look, amen. But yeah, there's a lot of shorthand kind of characterization. I feel like because this is someone who does not really know how to write women that well. Because I don't think he's really that interested in them. There was a moment when they were like, "Oh, what if this time it was two female true detectives?" And I think there's a lot of people who would have just gone there just to go there because that first one was so man and so just kind of like two men who have to be bad men who go out and fight other bad men and like that's that dynamic itself is so to boring. save to save imperiled to save women. imperiled women and like the right. women who just like want to make love to these bad men it's just there's so much bs in that first season it's just so much kind of unreconstructed kind of like all you know all all of this stuff and you know other some people might have gone in a very different direction might have wanted to go in a very different direction it's kind of like it's a 180 it's going to be the opposite of what it was it's still going to be true detective but it's you know something different and instead it's bad men and fighting worse men you know and rachel mcadams on the side yeah. but but i don't feel like it's she does not seem like that interesting of a character she's got so you know there's i guess we should talk we could talk about the story as we know it as it is taking shape um what's what is it's, happening i know i have like the knives out somebody accused me on twitter so he's like boy you really got the knives out 
for Pizzolatto. Like the thing is, like I want this to be great, and that's why I have the knives out in a way that I'm not as invested in. You know, I'm not going to sit there watching like ballers and like check off all the things that like bug me about that because it's not. You know, that's not somebody working with all of the sort of raw material that I'm really interested in. But the idea of like sort of California conspiracy stuff and like all of that that like they're going to get into, I feel like now it's like, oh, great. Now no one else can do that. You know, so like I'm hoping mm-hmm. like I'm actually I'm like it's you know, I'm, I don't know. I want this to be good, man. I really do. I really, really do. I like a lot of these people a lot. I feel like Farrell is like that could sustain it. Although I was saying to Chris, I want. A show. I want eight episodes of just Colin Farrell beating up children and school bullies, I would <laughs> intimidating that. children, cursing at children, and just call it just. <laughs> yep. That sounds them. amazingly like it, it could happen from the people who brought you Eastbound and Down. I would love comes Colin Farrell beating up bullies. Can we just say that, like, I, I and instead of Frank also... Rich on Veep, it'd be Emily Bassalon <laughs> as the secret consultant of. Of this fake show we just made up? I, look, I also feel like this would... It's not like Eastbound and Down is not very male and very based on, like, you know, sort of, like, bro kind of culture in a lot of ways. But, like, it ha- it's funny. And, like, if this show And the show women had, are funny on that yeah, show, too. If this show had some, like, actual sort of dimensional... I say... I don't even... Th- three is... Three would be lo- lovely. Two would be okay. Dimensional female characters and a sense of humor of some kind. I know that it's very dark. I feel like there would be, there's room within that, but I feel like it lacks both of those things. And so I'm less inclined to give it any kind of benefit of the doubt because you just, I feel like this is the work of a person who feels like he's doing very, very important work and telling very important truths about America and men and all of those things. And I just think it's just, it feels so Somebody said on Twitter, I'm going to forget who the name is, but I always, I always do this. I always quote, but I always have to say it's not me. Um, that it is, this is an opportunity to use the frequently misapplied word pretentious to talk about something. People mm-hmm. often say pretentious, you know, when they don't, mm-hmm. when they mean something else. Yeah. But this is, I do feel like this is in fact pretentious and like it Textbook actually sort of, pretentious. yeah, it's sure. like, it's just, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where it's, it's not just, man, it's not just a crime story. It's not just about crime. It's about the crime of America, man. <laughs> like you could actually have that conversation with this guy and he would oh go there with God. you. Oh my God. Well, I you. mean, that means that this is like, this, who, all those people are living on a different planet because like given the crimes we're about to discuss, you know, I feel like it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. We'll be right back. Change will come to those who have no fear. But I'm not so Wesley, I understand you, but you have a parenting question for me. I'm just going to ask you straight up: What's your stand as a father? Uh, happy belated Father's Day, by the way. Oh, I hope you. it was nice. It, it, it was. I, I, had, I had a moment. I'll just say, peak dad. I had to go. I'll explain why in a minute. It's not really that interesting why, but I had to go across Los Angeles from the east side to the west side to uh, go uh, get my wife's car, and had time alone. In my wife's car for an hour in traffic, sort of coming back on the 10. Uh, Listen to All of Abbey Road by the Beatles. Just a dad by himself listening to Abbey Road, thinking about how the Beatles were good. Peak dad for Mm -hmm. me that day. And there was also some nice family stuff that's not pertinent to this podcast. It's 
peak dad. Face, I love it. But peak, That's peak. Nice. Me, I was like, I had a moment. I was like, this is this is the most dad thing I could be doing at this moment is being like, you know what? That that golden slumbers is quite a <laughs> quite a jam. But I've always kind of under. I feel like I underrate Abbey Road historically, and so I. I definitely reason. underrate Abbey Road. It is the album. It is the Beatles album I listen to least, and is probably the one I'm sure I should probably listen to. Probably, if not most, then definitely most-ish. It's the one that will make you think differently about Paul and Ringo as a rhythm section. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a very, it's a like it, it, it. The the idea of Ringo as you know the luckiest drummer in the world. I think Abbey Road is a counter argument to that. That he's actually got some some fire, spitting some fire. Uh, that's my feeling about Abbey Road. Anyway, ask me the question. So this is, I mean, this. I mean, I will say that you are. Many dads seem to find their favorite part of Father's Day just having their child say "I love you, Dad" and then being left alone. <laughs> that is it, that is every that's every dad in my life who is not my actual father, and who my my father was also very much interested in being able to have some beer, know that his children are alive and love him very much, and then just wanted to be like. There's no boxing on on Sundays. He's stuck with golf, right? But. He was really into, he was really into love, beer, and being left the f alone. Yeah, he just wanted to chill. Makes sense. He just wanted to chill. Um, but my my dad question for you is: Where do you stand? Where do you stand on the scooter as a mode of adult transportation? When you've also got a child who also prefers that to be his or her primary mode of transportation. Are you saying that you're you're seeing like? Uh, father son or father daughter teams where they're, they're both on the, the, the like the razor like the metal both? scooter I'm talking like a family of five. Oh, like everybody's on the scooter where do I live I live in Brooklyn what kind of like funny I live in West Brooklyn which is like wow. I mean it's not like all of Brooklyn is doing this it is you're, you're, the you borough president past... is, is commuting to work <laughs> right I mean it's not all of Brooklyn it's just it's just like West Brooklyn it's it's Anyway, yes, this is a thing. I get run over once a day. It used to be just be carriages. Now it's not even strollers anymore. It's scooters. I am bumped into run over by men, women, boys, and girls on scooters. Uh, and it's, I mean, the adults kind of annoy me because I just don't feel like it's a very mature <laughs> form of, of transport beyond it's being safe, uh, unsafe. It's extremely unsafe. Um, I think that they should make the scooters be in the street and see how often you see a scooter after that. Uh, but yes. And I think now you're seeing a lot more adults with scooters and no children. Presumably these are parents who are just, you know, they're just now used to getting around this way and they get around this way with the scooter. Um, but I, I immediately thought I must ask my friend because we've never discussed this and I've never seen you on a scooter where you stand. I'm 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 repulsed by this this whole notion. Um I'm I'm not a fan. That's I may at friends. some point I I can't I can't rule it out. You know, at this at this moment we've yet to find the uh, mode of uh human powered transport that is <laughs> is my daughter's jam in terms of her physical dexterity. Because she has kind of she has my laziness and my wife's physical grace, so it's mm. really not a combination that uh, lends itself to uh, those kinds of things. So she's not yet 
uh, shredding hard on a skateboard or anything like that. And we've not, despite the best efforts of various grandparents who all, and this is a total the normal grandparent uh, desire, but uh, who all want to be the, 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 the grandparent that bought her the bike that she learns to ride a bike on. And there have been a succession of bikes that she has gotten and not been interested in and grown too big for that we've given away to, you know, the less fortunate. Um, These are the time. right answers. Yeah. I mean, look, I wanted, I like, I like bikes. I'm a bike person. I think bikes are cool. Also bikes have their own lane. So you're not on the sidewalk messing with people. I mean, like kids on the sidewalk, that's one thing I guess like kids probably like, you don't necessarily want your kid to be right there next to traffic. Uh, I understand the impulse to want to be on the sidewalk with the bike, but like uh, I, I'm not, I'm not into it. And when when I've experienced that as a walker, you know, in this these times of incre- ever increasing bike lanes, I'm like, come on, man or woman, that's good to um, know. But yeah, also those scooters are. I, I I think that's insane. I think that's. I don't know how. I see kids as like those. They're way too fast. It's like a metal skateboard that can fly up and cut you in the head. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not behind it. I cannot get behind it and I cannot get behind the, you know, the family on the razor scooters is something that I've never witnessed, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that I haven't come to Borum Hill slash Carroll <laughs> gardens slash slash park slope slash cobble Hill slash Brooklyn. Heights. I lived there. It just was not, I, I, and I'd seen the kids. I lived, I was in park slope for 12 years. I, I, I don't know that I saw adults on razor scooters at a level that I, that, that really registered as a thing. If I saw that, I would sort of, and I would assume that it was someone who, you know, I mean, I think we, I remember just once talking to you and I always think about this, something that you pointed out, like there was a a moment of vogue for, uh, and they're still around, but like they've sort of, it's, I think it's kind of morphed, you know, into a different thing, but like for the kind of BMX esque bike as a street bike for cool street dudes oh. riding around. And I just remember you saying like, it always looks like they stole it from a child. And every time <laughs> I see that now, I do think of you. And I think of you saying that it's just one of those things that for whatever reason, it's like a pinned tweet conversationally. It just comes up. And it's just true. It's so <laughs> it's, true. It is really when the knees are all up in the air above the handlebars. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor like, I'm in favor of, uh, alternative modes of transit, but, uh, I don't think that the Razor scooter is, uh, what I'm, you know, what I'm, uh, going to get behind on this. Yeah, no, I mean, anyway, uh, we'll be right back to talk about Barack Obama talking to Mark Marin. Oh my gosh. This is pretty cool. This is the place. This is where it happens. I like this, man. You do? I do. It's my whole life. You Everything. Like, but you're like you're, you're like a big cheese now, man. You can't pretend like you're just some. What do you mean? Can I go on pretending? You can't pretend like you're some well, then, know, little guy should, in the garage. Should you're I move? Not, you're not big time. Should I move? No. You, you know this. this <laughs> partly because of the uh, the yeah. uh, the knickknacks around here, man. Sure, it's the magic box. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on in here. Yeah, you, a got lot of... the, you got the give me shelter post. Sure, man. I got a, I got like yeah, I got a weird collection of, of things. You I got, got uh, some some uh, some drawings and pictures that we can't really discuss. On. Right. I got yeah, I got pictures over there. I got Dennis Hopper. I got uh, there's muddy waters. There's uh, there's uh, I got yeah, just stuff. A lot of pictures of yourself. I mean, it's a little narcissistic. Well, I mean. You know, people send them to me, and I, you know, I, I don't know that that I really notice it, that they're all pictures of me. Maybe it's just comforting. <laughs> that is the introductory throat clearing portion of Mark Maron's interview with President Barack Obama. President Barack Obama came out 
to Highland Park in Los Angeles. All the way out to the Cat Ranch to talk to Mark Marin, <laughs> a friend who lives in Eagle Rock who was live tweeting. I guess he traveled through her neighborhood on the way there, the motorcade, somehow. Um, I read all about this now. I've read, uh, read the Slate Q&A where Marin explains what the backdrop was because he landed at the Rose Bowl and didn't, you know, went from there. God, this is so crazy. It's really crazy. And like uh, Joe, our producer Joe, was talking to me about watching local news coverage of this and mm -hmm. the local news being somewhat, you know, because we can all like in our, you know, you and I and, you know, probably a lot of the most of the people listening to this podcast, because you're, if you're a person who listens to podcasts, you know about Mark Marin. It makes sense. But the idea of like why the president would go to Highland Park, not that Highland Park is not a lovely community, but just what business would he have there? Be apart from talking to Mark Maron, if you didn't know right, who right, that Mark right. Maron was there, it's like you know, it's like he's going to Donut Friend for a donut named after a Jawbreaker <laughs> song. Um, I don't. know. I mean, it's it's fascinating. I mean, for I mean, any for any number of reasons, it's fascinating. Like it would have been really easy for Mark Maron to just take his equipment to the White House and just but they sit said around they, in some room there. They wanted to do it. They proposed it though. And right. The, no, I the get White it. House no, no, came no. To I... Him was like, we want him to go to the cat ranch, which is kind of awesome. I Look, like the idea. He this... has one bathroom. He jokes in that slate thing. He's like, everybody was here, and they used my one bathroom. I mean, there is a thing. This this White House has the best communications department. I think. I mean, I haven't been at all. I've been lived through all the White Houses, but in the last you know three or four presidencies, this this White House. I mean, and I'm not saying this because, I mean, they're younger people. They're people who understand how the internet works and how internet culture works and digital culture. Um, you know, I mean, Grantland has been uh, the beneficiary of this of this communication staff in some way. I mean, the president has talked to Bill Simmons. Yep, he was on the and BS Rem Rembert has had uh, asked, you know, got one very memorable question on Air Force One with the president, Rembert Brown. Yeah. And this is Barack Obama went and talked to Zach Galifianakis in character for Between Two Ferns. I mean, they they have a sense. And, you know, this is a guy who can sing an Al Green song at at before uh, before giving a speech. He's in all of these. things. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and it's not it's like Nixon was on laughing, you know, like there, right. there are, there's there's Clinton did Arsenio Hall. I mean, it's not like we well, did that it, when yes, he was exactly. running, though. But that's yeah, that's right. the, that's the interesting thing is that like it, there's something about this White House does not seem to be dedicated to let's protect him from human moments as much as we can. Well, what's interesting to me is that they are at the same time very unforthcoming with the press, though. I mean, they are also notoriously stingy with the press. They prosecute a lot of journalists. They, I mean, I mean, prosecute might be a strong word, but I mean, they definitely are hard on journalists, harder than, 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 than most White Houses. I mean, perhaps, I'm not sure if this is exactly true, but they're the toughest uh, and the most frustrating White House for journalists, apparently, uh, of all, um, in, in, at least in the last 25 years or so. And uh, a lot of what they're protective about seems to be unnecessary to a lot of journalists. Um, I have a number of friends who who have covered this administration and, you know, I've heard tell of things that are annoying, but I also hear they're really nice people. And um, I don't know. It's just really fascinating to me that, 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 you know, when he has a moment of just not having his guard up or just he wants to talk 
to people like where he goes to do that. And he's had conversations with NPR and, you know, all of the major news outlets and, and that sort of thing, too. It's not as though he is prizing uh, Internet culture, but he also is including it. There is a kind of egalitarianism or, or, or something at work in which Mark Maron, the difference between Mark Maron and, um, you know, uh, uh, pick your Fox News correspondent. Well, you mean he picks his Fox News correspondent. It's probably Chris Wallace and, you know, John Stewart and, you know, Steve Inskeep on, on Morning Edition. I mean, there's a whole list of people that he's spoken to, <laughs> Bill Simmons. You know, they're all kind of worthy of his time in some way and that is a new that feels very new to me well it doesn't feel like i'm like clinton going on mtv to talk about whether he wears boxers or briefs as a way of communicating with the young voter it's not about like we're gonna i'm gonna talk to there's no pandering right it doesn't right. feel like it feels like i'm going to treat this as you know let, let's leave grantland out of the equation so that doesn't seem like we're just talking about it to, to that way but like that i'm going i'm going to recognize that John Stewart is a real news source at this point and you know yes, like yes. and that Mark yes, Maron is someone that is like a, <laughs> this is a you know it's a it's like a podcast of record you know yes. it's like where the people who are important in their very in their respective fields you know it's that's been music and comedy mostly but like uh, th there's no reason why it shouldn't also be politics it was interesting this made me want more so we want Marin to uh, broaden that scope out more often and kind of get those people on there who are – Marco know, Rubio, <laughs> go to the garage. I mean the jokes are all great. It's like I, it's one of those ones where like you go to Twitter to make the joke and then you look – first you look up to see if anybody else has made it. You know, and you're just <laughs> ready to like – you have – I had so many just like, you know, like like Biden's going to be on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about DMT, you know. But I was like totally <laughs> – I totally got beat to that by somebody. So I didn't do it. I didn't – I don't want to be the second guy to be like, hey, me too. But it is funny to think about it. But yeah, no, I wish that, I wish that would happen more often. I, so, I mean the actual interview – I, I I thought uh, I like the beginning of it more, which we've uh, not we just played a little bit of the beginning beginning, but before when the actual there's a moment I, I think pretty quickly where it turns where Marin is ob obligated to bring up Charleston because it was so it, not that it's not still recent, but it was so recent at that moment. So he had yeah, it to happen two days before that. it was two days earlier. So you can't not in that situation bring it up. But I feel like a you cede control at that moment. I feel like he never quite got it back. There is a moment when they're talking to, before that about uh, Pasadena because uh, uh, the president went to Occidental uh, from 1979 to 1981 right there and sort of talking about his time in California. And there's that, you know, there's a moment where he's like, it's, you know, there's a haze because it was college. And like, it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. I mean, it's just, it's great. I like that he's upfront about those kinds of things and he's not trying to, you know, Whatever, because I think his you know his college uh, you know obliteration was not you know there are past presidents who probably haven't beat on that, so you can talk about it. But it's a good it's a good moment, and there's a there's a nice like within that when he's talking about you know his kind of identity confusion as a young man and about trying to forge a black identity out of pop cultural sources, mm -hmm. uh, which we can which we can play a little bit of right now. We have a we'll, we'll just play that. And so I'm trying to figure out, all right, I'm seen and, and viewed and understood as a black man in America. Right. What does that mean? Yeah. I'm absorbing all kinds of stereotypes and ideas from 
society. Like Richard Pryor got right. the box set right, right like, there. Like Richard Pryor or Shaft, or, right? Right, and 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 so I'm I'm trying on a whole bunch of outfits, right? Sure, hats. Here, here's how I should act. Here, you know, here, here's yeah. how it's. Here's what it means to be cool. Yeah. Here's what it means to be man. Is that when you start smoking? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. You, you know, you start smoking. You start drinking coffee. Good. Sure. Or, right. You got a leather jacket. Yeah. And then you fight that for the yeah, rest of your life. Exactly. The worst. And, uh, and I just and like the idea of him point. talking about Shaft and of him thinking about Shaft and the incongruity of <laughs> this guy that we kind of know well now, <laughs> thinking that this might be. I, I might be right. Exactly. I like that. I mean, because look, if you're I mean, he set that up by explaining that he is, you know, he in some ways had his blackness sort of thrust upon him or he was made to be aware that he was black in a you know, in a particular kind of American way where because he has these black features, he then has to find a category or you know when you're young you feel like you have to find a category that speaks to the kind of black person you feel you are and this idea that he is auditioning persona uh, through which to express himself is actually quite fascinating because it is something i mean i went through that i mean i didn't go through it with i mean i'm sure he's exaggerating a little bit in terms of like how this process went or like it's being presented in a comedic way that is probably less actually like it was but i mean you do go through this thing i mean like all kids everywhere you've tried to figure out whoever you're going to be when you're like 11 or 12 or 10 and sometimes you know if you're a black kid uh among other black kids who don't think you're black in the way that they're black you have to find the black that speaks to the kids who don't think you're black enough in a way that persuades them that you're to, to believe that your blackness is as black as theirs um, it's not until you really get to college that there are blacknesses in high school. And this is a little bit different now. Um, and at some point you and I will have a dope conversation, the movie that came out last week about the ner the black nerds in South Los Angeles who become drug dealers for a minute. Um, but there is a way in which you, you know, when I was a kid in middle school and high school, it was hard, you know, I mean, I don't think I pretended to be shaft, but I definitely, I mean, you know, my shaft was like Big Daddy Kane, uh, ironically enough. I mean, sure. a not inappropriate person. Like, but, you know, you wind up feeling like you're gravitating actually more toward people like Living Color. And, you know, when Janet Jackson records a song with a guitar in it, that's a mind-blowing moment. Um, I mean, these things in which you, the person, the kind of black person you feel that you are, is, you know, it meets up with. That's why when we had that Lenny conversation, Lenny Kravitz conversation a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was very moved by what Lenny Kravitz, what I remember of Lenny Kravitz representing to me, um, and what Lisa Bonet <laughs> represented to me. Like I am not half black. I'm, you know, I'm. I can tell you exactly how black I am. I'm ninety two percent. And uh, the idea that you have these ways in which these, you know, white culture and black culture meet up to make something that sounds in some way new or that there are these pre-established racial musical categories into which black people inserted themselves to create something new. Um, you know, I mean, I didn't discover I did not like really discover George Clinton, for instance, until I was in college. But the idea that these guys were basically making rock music the way people rocked in the 70s, but like but in a very, you know, coming from a totally different musical and R&B tradition was just, it blew my mind. Um, 
and it's just really funny to hear about Obama. I mean, some of this stuff is in, in is in at least one of his books, but um, it's just funny to hear him sort of even mention that 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 pole, that that dichotomy, for instance. Um, and what I mean, what else struck you as is really interesting about this conversation? Because there's a lot of things, right? I mean, yeah. Well, I, you mean you'd never you mentioned to me beforehand like this is no, you're, you're gonna out me no i'm I, uh, well i mean yeah I kinda, you're gonna out me go yeah. ahead it's fine so it this is private. this i mean is this your first mark maron experience it's fine it's not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna criticize you i'm just gonna i just like but like you're not how familiar many episodes with are there of this show 600 already, there's this is like 55. episodes this is like 617 or something yeah. it's up there, have there. Been 55 this year so far so yeah yes this is my first mark maron episode and i don't you know i mean it is interesting that the person that brought me that finally got me i mean i've had people i know personally (laughs) and that wasn't enough to get me to listen to it i don't know you know what's on i feel there's a way in which there's a kind of uh, sort of generic idea of what we think podcasting is and I think that Mark Marin seemed to epitomize that for me, despite the, the idea that you could argue that we do a, a lesser version of that or whatever. Um, we do. Well, I just, mean, we're not really interviewing up, people. It's a we're different, doing different. Yeah. We're doing a different thing, of course, right? Many people are doing a lesser version of it now, especially especially now. Sure. And I, I don't know. I just never, I never gravitated to him as a comic. And Neither did the, I. That's the thing. And, right. And I think the thing about that having that sort of preformed conception of him just just i don't know it kept me away from the show despite the fact that every single person whom i respect and who i respect and think is wonderful and uh, lots of people do anyway um listen to this podcast and i i just never my podcast diet is pretty full but i am now making room because i i, I despite not liking his television show um this is it's a kind of a wonderful podcast and and i i listen to uh, I've listened to two others today, um, two recent ones. And I, I just, I, I think he really has a handle on his guests and how to talk to them in a way that doesn't feel forced. And he was so good with the president. And I think that he, he what he does, at least in the three episodes that I've listened to, um, is he gives you room to talk about yourself as a person. I know that you and Joe uh, think that, the, there's a kind of candness to the second half of the show, but I have never heard him talk about any of that stuff in this in the kind of like laid back, slightly substantive way that he does uh, with with Marin either. You mean, in the, mean specifically to the Obama? Just to point out that yeah, the second half of the Obama interview. You mean? As yes. Yeah. What did I sound like? I was talking. Oh about. no! I just want like because there's two. There's traditionally two have. There's the beginning and end of a you know of a Marin episode is usually. The oh yes. There's, yes. The, there's the the monologue part at the beginning, and then there's the part with the guest, which is not a half. But yeah. Anyway. No, I mean, I mean the latter part of the of the Obama. I, I mean, yeah. It's just. Do you, do you, by the way, when you've listened to Obama talk for a long time, do you find yourself wanting to say "look" more often? I was about. I, I've I've had at least two in this conversation. I was like, I just want to be. Oh, well, look. You just have to you just, have, you just start to go there. Look, um, I have a friend who talks just like Barack Obama. My friend John Davis. He does a lot of look and pause and think. And I, I'm like I, nobody does it better than Jonathan Davis. So I just have given up doing it at all. It's not even. It doesn't even occur to me because when I hear the president do it, I just think of my friend John. So no, that's not an issue for me. But I get it. There are some people when they talk, you do 
you do find yourself wanting to do things just to do. pick up the, their, their isms a little bit i don't think i'm that cool is the thing maybe is what it is he's pretty cool he's pretty cool he's in that beginning cool. he's tra- you can hear him trying to chill uh marin out because marin's mm-hmm. obviously for obvious reasons he can't even breathe it's, nervous it's like, yeah. yeah and if you listen to it like he's not he, he you don't hear him get intimidated that often i'm trying to think of like of the last one where it was really clear that so that you know sort of that Marin was cowed. There was one. There's one in particular that <laughs> I think actually the only time I've heard Marin be that apprehensive beyond this one, Anna Kendrick mm. reduced him to kind of a puddle. He mm. was having a real hard time in that interview trying to trying to pull it together and to ask substantive questions. If you go back to the Anna Kendrick interview, no, I think he's a great interviewer. I think he's a really and and this is for all. I I will say it felt a little canned. I, I feel like it did not. The, the I wish that he could have gotten back to that personal place at the beginning. I understand why he couldn't. I still think it's great. And I think it was a really interesting listening experience and it was just, it was interesting. And it just, you know, you just, it, it's nice to hear somebody like that who you don't get to hear from in that way. It, mm-hmm. it, it just not that, you know, not that he needed humanizing necessarily, but like, I think you don't, you know, there's an element of, it you don't never get, hurts. You it never, never hurts and you don't, much. and you don't get, even if, even in this, you know, even in a, spe- a long speech or something like that, you don't get that kind of personal sort of just, uh, you know, uh, we're just kind of sitting around talking. And like that does, there are moments when that, you know, that appears within this conversation, like that sort of that level of, you know, that illusion of intimacy sort of gets right. gets created. There's great, I like, <laughs> I like when Marin's talking about his level of political engagement to Obama and he's like, yeah, I, I ran the country from my couch my for a couch, lot of years. Yeah. And <laughs> Barack is like, a lot of people do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good, Alex. Uh, so let's. What about the the substance? I mean, well, okay. There's the substance of what was actually discussed between these two men, and then there is the reaction of the people who didn't listen to the podcast but mm. have feelings about it. And so the takeaway all seems to have been boiled down to one tiny nugget of 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 something the president was trying to explain about whether or not. And how race has changed, and what progress what progress looks like in America, um, and how he used that. And we'll like this is this is what the president actually said: racism, racism. We are not cured of clearly, uh, and 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 it's not just a matter of uh, it not being polite to say in public. That's not the measure of whether racism still exists or not. It's not just a matter of overt discrimination. We have to, societies don't overnight completely erase everything that happened two to three hundred years prior. So they've taken like his use of the N word in that sentence and have used it to shame him. It is like it's become about how the president is using the N word. I mean, momentarily, I'm sure that aspect of this cycle is is probably dead as we speak because it's absurd um right because but, absurd things about the president about this this president just go away because they're absurd i feel like okay. this is going to be Touché. around forever Touché. for Touché. it's gonna be like we're gonna be still like you know like my my president wouldn't go out to highland park and say the n-word on a podcast <laughs> no we just do it around his dinner table years from now <laughs> yes exactly exactly no, this I mean, is the, okay. he's using it as an example. 
Oh, he's Alex, explaining. Alex, Alex, I know. I'm not. Alex, I'm not yelling Alex. at you. I know. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> do we even dignify this alleged controversy? There's so many more interesting things to talk about within like this conversation. I bring it up to ask the larger question, which is like, given what happened last week, last Wednesday, the shooting at the Emmanuel, um, uh, the Amy African Church. Methodist. Yeah. Yeah. And what? How? How? This, how half the country, I mean, I don't want to make it a half, one half, part of the country wants to talk about what those, that massacre meant. Part of the country wants to talk about the guy who did it. Part of the country wants to talk about what we can do to prevent that from happening. And then part of the country doesn't want to talk about anything. They just want to like, let's move on is the thing that happens whenever it's not just when a, when a school shooting happens. It's when the subject of race is the crux of, or racism is the crux of an incident. Why you get why you, bring, of, why you have to bring up race? Why you have to bring up race when a guy who talked about starting a race war goes into a black church and says, "I'm shooting you people for this reason," and it's a racist reason, and says it to people so that they know, and then kills a bunch of people. Why you got to make it about race? We're actually I, being asked to think of things that way, right? Yeah, we're we're actually I don't know. What is what is the what is this what is the wiser thing to do? I, you know, it's funny because if these people who are like why is it got to be about race? We're actually like I'm not going to dignify this racist demand by talking about race. Right. It's not I'm it's not never that. Do it. It's never that. It's never that. It's always like, "Oh, we can't, you know, it, it, the the thing that that many smart perceptive people have seized on is the way that we talk about people who do these things in the first place. When a person of color does something like this, we're having a conversation about terrorism and thuggery and, and evil. I mean, evils come up in this scenario too, but we focus on the, on the face and eyes and backstory of the evildoers in a way that is much different. Uh, uh, it's just different with 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 a single white male who kills anybody. Um, he becomes the story. I can rarely recite the names of the victims of these of these incidents, but I, through the coverage of the people who commit these acts, can always tell you. Can pretty much name the. I can I can put the 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 evil person with the incident. Um, I can remember the mugshot. Uh, and you know, nine people died on Wednesday. Uh, and you know, there hasn't been, I would say that I don't feel there's been enough attention paid to, to them. No, it's weird how that's an, it's, it's almost to, to make the focus, to put the focus on those people is almost, it's an outlier kind of thing to do. It's as if we need, we, the, the respect that we owe them is not talking about them at all, which is ridiculous or what they, what they've stood for. You know, I mean, I feel like there was no there was no place of all of all places. I feel like, you know, Beyonce's Instagram, I'm going to say she did something there's put out. I don't I don't know if she did this herself. She programmed it. But it was like she had a, one of those videos of like scrolling these names on the on the thing. And it's it's just weird that we're not that we're not being bombarded with the faces of these people and yeah. somehow sort of talking about what, you know, what they stood for and what the you know, like what this what, what this could mean. But we are there's no shortage of information about this kid and what he stood for. 
You know, like we right. find out, we hear a lot about that, and we really sort of, you know, the, we the the appetite. I, I, I and I get it on some level. I get that it's like that it's the media is sort of filling an appetite that like people have, you know, that you want to know and everything. But I feel like that's a culturally born. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I want to say that like I feel like the human fascination, evil. We are fascinated by evil because most of us are not evil. Most of us are good, right. and goodness isn't fascinating. But even um, framing it, even framing it as evil, I think I wonder. Like, not that it's not wrong, but I feel like evil implies that it's like. It's it's not Gargamel, you know. It's not somebody sort of who's just evil because they are an evil person. It's like there's some it like. Well, I find that to be villainy, right? I mean, yeah. evil is the thing. I mean, if you're a Christian, the thing that you that you that your Christianity is aligned against is evil. Is evil doing and hate? Yeah, no, that's that's true. But I almost think that evil, the framing of it as evil, makes it. I'm not saying like feel free to take this out of context. No one was going to, but like you know, it's evil implies that it's some kind of it's a it's a force that sort of exists in the universe and has no kind of societal relationship, and that somebody just woke up one day and is you know just decides to be evil. You know, it's like it's sort of like it's not it's Doctor Doom. It's like all those things. It's not intimately connected and woven into the fabric of society. You know, like why these things happen. Well, what's your preferred word? I don't know that I have a preferred word. I'm not word. sure I agree with you, but like what should, what should I say instead? No, I mean, look, I guess that's the most, that's the most, that's the best way to talk about it. But I certainly, like, I mean, because I see what you're saying. I just also is, yeah. wonder, I just also wonder, I mean, I guess, I mean, because what you're saying in some ways is that that evil is a cosmic assignment as opposed to evil allows us to say, why did this, why would, why did this happen? Why are there evil people? Who do evil things mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of i have a problem with and i've really been feeling it around this one because the motivation is so crystal clear mm -hmm. i have a problem with the and it's a media problem it's a problem i have with the sort of with news coverage with and it, but then you see people because it, it becomes part of the boilerplate way that people talk about it um that it's that what we go to is why why would something like this happen? Why could something like how like well for and, once, yeah, exactly. And it's we, for we one, know why. we really, really, <laughs> really know why. It is one yeah. of those things where it's like he told us why. It's not. There's no and like when we are sort of like, but why? We're still able to be like, but why? Like it's the reason is you know I mean the reason is guns. Like that there's a gun that he was able to sort of like he was able to buy a machine for killing people. And, you know, that 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 in itself is like we don't need to go down that road about like why that's the most obvious thing we can do about this because you can't legislate racism away. But you can you could potentially make it so this guy couldn't get guns. You could make it hard. You could make it harder. But that's not right. the yeah. But it's sort of it's almost it's more like it's it, you know there's the, that the the James Baldwin quote about like you know it's the, the innocence itself is the crime. You know that like we're able right. to well, like that we're able every time to sort of pretend that we don't know why things like this happen, you know, and even in a case like this, because then like it, it saves us from having to talk about anything. It's like, because when ultimately if we, st if you start with like, why does something like this happen? You can eventually get to sort of like, well, terrible things happen and evil exists in the world and you can't do anything about it. It's like, it's a, it becomes like a sort of a loop that we get into and we get into it every time. And let's sort of, sort of like, except for, when it's you know chris dorner or whatever then it's just sort of like it's just it's, it's just evil and thuggery and insanity and like all those things it's like we're, we don't have a problem with the why 
you know, for certain kinds. Wait, of who's crime. that guy? That was the guy, the, uh, the the guy, the big bear guy, right? Did was not a? Do you remember this? The guy no. who was a state, he was like a, he was a like a state trooper, I think, or a sheriff. He was African American. Barricaded himself in the cabin. Oh yeah, okay. God, I, I mean, okay. That he's he didn't. It, it, there was not. That was an open and shut case. Right, That's the right. thing. For some reason, this isn't an open and shut case. That it's like well, this is. You Alex, know, it's like and look. It's, I mean, but you understand what's going on, right? I mean, there's two things. Well, right? it's a, well for things. one thing, yeah. I mean, it's for one thing. It's a media. It's a, and on some level, it's like the you know your Fox Newses or whatever, just absolving themselves of any role in this of being of sort of pumping out these messages about your country is being taken away from you by our usurper black president and therefore by the people of his race by his people. And they're right. putting that narrative out into the world and then go figure that that sort of joins up in someone's mind with, you know, sort of pre-existing racist thoughts and leads to something like this happening. You know, I'm not saying it's Steve Ducey's fault directly. You know, no, but I also like, I also think, uh, yes, I agree with you. But I also think that one of the things that's interesting about like the way people are talking about this podcast now as the one in which the president says the n-word mm-hmm. let's bring is, it back to yeah please is that we're is that we we are terrified of as a country reckoning with something that won't die we're having a fight still about the confederate flag and what it means for that flag to fly fully erect over the state capitol in South Carolina. And I I just feel like, you know, it's funny because the president, the thing that I left that podcast feeling really good about, um, and Mark Marin couldn't quite believe it, and again, like the thing that I always tell people when they talk about Obama just not doing enough and going too slow, I mean, he says this himself, I think maybe for the first time, in such in a really clear way in response to this question. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's from Hawaii. <laughs> we didn't elect a president from Detroit or Baltimore or Houston. Uh, yeah, or Brooklyn. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> He's from Hawaii. I mean, and and uh, among other places too. I mean, he has sort of absorbed all of these like sensibilities in terms of responding to things. But he's saying that his Hawaiianness. He's making his a point that his Hawaiianness is more important in his character, maybe than so, certain other things about his background that that predominates in some situations. And he uses the word chill. Right. He uses the word they chill. They want as an N word president, and he they yeah. got this Hawaiian dude. They got a dude. You know, they wanted an N. They get this guy. They got a bra a little bit, <laughs> a little bit, yeah, a little bit of like he uses the word chill as a noun, like as in like you have no chill. Like it's, he uses in the in the, the, yeah. the millennial formulation of chill. Yeah, he's like I got. A, I have a chill that they didn't know about, you know. And so I just sort of feel like you know, I I can't. You know, this is a really like great moment. I think for for political culture and popular culture to you know sit in this what I would hope is a like temperate garage, uh, and talk about stuff. I mean, and really, I mean, not substantively in that. Uh, Marin is speaking to him the way certain journalists would who who were well versed in in some of the things Obama was talking about. But it was like, I mean, if you think about Marin as a glorified voter, um, I mean, how many how many voters get to talk to the president the way he got to? I mean, I really got the sense that this was a guy 
And I don't think I'm saying this because I've only listened to three episodes of the show. I'm saying this because I feel like Marin's demeanor and really his sort of personal sense of personal stature. I mean, he really is just like a guy and the environment, which the environment in which this conversation happened. There is a kind of averageness to the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. He went to, I mean, I hate to keep focusing on the garage, but it is to me a very vivid symbol um, as opposed to being at, at Tyler Perry's ranch and, or, or, which is where you know, he was. Yeah. He was at Chuck Lorre's house. He did and his Chuck Hollywood house. circuit part. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't party things. I mean, I guess in, the, in, in a certain aspect of the world, this is a glamorous thing to do, but look, if you're the president of the United States of America, this is not glamorous. It might be cool, but it's like, I get the sense that the scene outside his house is like the E.T moment yes. when like the government descends <laughs> exactly. on the et uh, on elliot's house to like like experiment on et that's what it seemed like was going on they in mark maron's yeah they the tented the whole thing and just kind of covered it up and they and put so, snipers on the roof next door and it's just i mean that's kind of a, it's an amazing thing i feel it felt to me very much like the president going to speak to a person to whom he is also answerable and and being really cool about explaining where he stands i it's hard i mean i wish you do i wish he'd ask more questions about drones yeah of course i do i would love to hear the president in that environment yeah. casually make a case for 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 drone warfare um but i also left that i just found it impossible to be able to reduce it to the president sort of disrespecting his office by, I mean, even if people were like, I can't believe he did a podcast. Oh my God. Well, but right. But that's, yeah, there's no, like that is not the disrespect of the office. It was sort of the social paraphrasing of like what has become acceptable to say in public. And it just is like this. I, th I mean, the reason I keep coming back to this is the idea that, that no matter what this guy does, he, I mean, we talk about evil, and a lot of a lot of the, the, that term and that concept gets assigned to him. Um, but I mean, no matter what he does, people people who don't want to see people who claim not to see race in the world see it only when they look at him, and then wonder why the rest of the country, when something like this happens in in in, in Charleston, uh, get bent out of shape because. Of, a, of, an, of an environment in which this sort of behavior is allowed to foster. There was a period where before, before the president got elected, I mean, you and I talked about this, like we're like, not that racism is dead, but like a kind of racism dies, right? Like that institutional, you know, you know, N-word, coon, you know, on and on kind of racism. That That's probably over. We're now on to something more institutional and more subtle and more, more ingrained in who we are as people but nope this is who we are as people <laughs> yeah i mean this is it's weirdly it, it is what we're seeing is that it's something that is kind of a constant i mean i think it's interesting because we were just you know last week when we we're talking about the sellout like yep. one of those things at people who listen to that show we, i will we're sort of reiterating but like one of the things that happens in that book is it's about is a really dark satire about a young man who decides to basically put he wants to recreate old fashioned scenarios of racism in some way to sort of argue that they are constant and that they're not, they have not gone anywhere. They've merely morphed into, you know, that those attitudes are finding expression in different ways, but also to point out that 
people in general feel really still uncomfortable talking about these things more than ever, even though Mm -hmm. ostensibly if it was something that was kind of dying off, it would be easier to laugh at it because you've, you know, shrunk it to the size you can drown it in the bathtub or whatever. But like, that's actually not that it's like, we actually, we, we can talk about it less and less. And like, so there's, you know, there's been a lot of the, you know, the coverage around Charleston has been, you know, the critic, one of the big criticisms of the reaction, you know, one of the reactions to the reaction has been like, let's not jump to forgiveness and let's move on. Let's move on just yet. You know, like, let's not let's not immediately go there, because that is a way to avoid talking about why things like this actually happen. And that's Mm -hmm. why that's why I sort of that's the formulation of evil just sort of implies that there is, you know, all of my references are from pop culture. And I'm sorry, but it's like it's not like this is the that there's a crack in the earth, like in Pacific Rim and monsters come out of it. And we don't understand what they're from. And all they want is to destroy us. Like that is an idea of evil. Like that's sort of like where it's just sort of an, immu- you know, immutable force. It's like, this is human behavior, you know? And it's like, it's harder to have that conversation and it's easier to have a conversation about evil because you can ultimately just throw up your hands at evil. Yeah. Whereas this is something where it's actually like, we have to think about the fact that this is like, you know, if the last sort of couple of years have taught us anything, it's that this is this is a thing that we all like the way that we have bacteria in our bodies that just lives in our bodies and hopefully does not get out of control and kill us. You know, but we have that in we all have it with us all the time, you know, and like it's sort of it's much harder to, you know, to to address that than it is. Can I say something about bacteria? There's an antibody for that. <laughs> it's called love. It's true. We'll be right back. We'll the we, jam of the week. We'll return. <laughs> Man. What is going to heal all of the wounds is the jam of the week. It is it is the Clark sisters, the most important, most awesome, most holy on high, super amazing, super quintetti Clark sisters with, you know, one of my favorite songs ever recorded. I mean, mostly because it's the only song I heard for about like a month and a half when I was a kid. Um, Song came out in 1981, I believe. Um, Their biggest hit, You Brought the Sunshine. Gospel legends, the Clark sisters. Familiar, Alex, do they? Only in the most... uh glancing kind of way the gospel is still this big hole in my understanding well so. you got me to buy a really good book that has a lot of gospel in it so i salute you for that um that's our show joe fuentes you're the best your ideas are the best we love executing them david jacoby you're you're, you're the just- executive best you're the executive best. Yes. You're a prize. You know, Joe is a gold. You're the Mark gold. Marin, Mark <laughs> Marin, and, Par- and the Barack Obama of the Grantland podcast situation. You can come to our garage anytime. Uh, and uh, Alex, you brought the sunshine into my life. I try, man. I do and, what I can. Uh, may the Clark sisters bring some sunshine into yours and into South Carolina. And in the rest of the nation, thank you so much uh, for listening. And we'll talk to you next week.
Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.